What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast, which is brought to you by Tacticam. This is your home for all things outdoors in the Badger State. I'm your host, Josh Raley, and I'm flying solo for this week's uh, intro here. A little bit weird feeling, not having Pierce on, but hey, things happen. We had one heck of a weekend. Uh, one of us got out for a family camping trip that involved trick-or-treating at a campground. One of us ended up with a bloody arrow, uh, did a guide trip, and ended up too sick to record an intro today. So I'll let you guess which one uh, is which on that front. But hey, we've got a good episode for you. Next week, we're going to kind of come back, explain the story of what went down for uh, for Pierce and for myself this weekend. But for this week, we've got Chase McCullough on from somewhere in Wisconsin. He and Pierce had an awesome conversation revolving around waterfowl. That's something that has gotten Pierce's attention more and more and something that for me, you know, I'm I'm really interested in waterfowl hunting. The stage of life that I'm in right now, it's kind of like, well, if a buddy invites me, I'm going to go, but I can't prioritize it in the midst of, you know, deer hunting and then turkey hunting in the spring and then, you know, trying to give that time in the middle to to my kids. And so uh, it's just not where we're at right now, but you better believe as soon as my kids can shoot a, a 20 gauge, uh, we're probably going to be looking into doing a little bit more waterfowl hunting. But anyway, these guys had an awesome conversation. Thank you so much for listening this week. I hope you enjoy the show. Get ready to share your hunt this season with the Tacticam 6.0 point of view camera. Featuring a built-in one-inch LCD touchscreen, one-touch operation, weatherproof housing, and mounts to fit any style of hunting, the Tacticam 6.0 is sure to simplify the self-filming process for you and make sure you have high-quality footage to share with family and friends. The 6.0 features up to 8x zoom, new image stabilization technology that takes the shock out of the shot, and lets you capture crystal clear 4K 60 frame per second footage. Now through September 21st, you can get a 6.0 camera, a stabilizer mount, a clamp mount, and a bottle of scrape fix for just $355.99. To learn more or pick up your 6.0 today, head over to Tacticam.com. If you want to create more memories and fill your freezer while you're doing it, the Onyx Hunt app is a must-have tool in your arsenal. With major new aerial imagery updates with historic look back, high-frequency imagery, and even the ability to order your own custom imagery, the Onyx Hunt app has solidified itself as the leader among mapping systems. Now, this is all on top of the public and private land ownership info, the ability to use this app with no service, and the unmatched reliability that you have come to expect out of the Onyx Hunt app. You can try the Onyx Hunt app for free for seven days. Just go find them on the app store of your choice, or you can go to onyxmaps.com to learn more. The archery opener is right around the corner and you can hunt in comfort this season with camo from Huntworth. They make high quality technical camo at a fraction of the price of other brands. My personal favorites for the early season include the Durham lightweight pants, which are rugged and durable, but also lightweight and breathable with just the right amount of stretch where it counts. And the Gadsden quarter zip hoodie, which is made to be breathable and moisture wicking. To make building out your kit simpler, the Huntworth website now features their new system builder. This tool will help you grab the right camo no matter what season or species you're hunting. To check out their full camo line, head over to HuntworthGear.com. Now let's get into this week's show. All right, joining me on this week's episode while Josh is on uh, standardized test duty in his house, helping the kids study, I've got Chase McCullough from somewhere in Wisconsin. Chase, how you doing? Good, how are you doing today, Pierce? Excellent, man. Excellent. I've been looking forward to this conversation for quite a while. Um, we were just chatting last year. I got 
a little tiny taste of waterfowl hunting just a little bit i hit the first duck that i shot at missed the you know subsequent few that flew in afterwards um but man i don't know if it was just the being on the water or if it was the you know i don't want to say the immediate gratification of uh you know having a shot hit home or what exactly but man i couldn't believe how much freaking fun that was and so i figured you know at this point in in the evolution of our podcast, it's about darn time that we had somebody on who knows a thing or two about waterfowl. So Chase, you seem to know a thing or two about waterfowl, right? Yeah, I put up a good front at least. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah no, I, I, uh, I've been, been, I've only actually been waterfowl. I mean, I waterfowl hunted a little bit when I was younger with my dad, uh, maybe three or four times when I was like 12, 13 years old, like right around that age, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I started playing football in high school and football in middle school. So I didn't really get out in the fall that much to do any duck hunting. Did a little bit of bow hunting and stuff with my grandpa when I was younger. He got me into bow hunting, shoot archery. So I shoot a lot of archery. I used to be a big bow hunter. Um, I used to bow hunt pretty much every single weekend from the opener all the way through the season until I shot, you know, my deer. Mm-hmm. And uh, over the course, I mean, I did that. I probably started shooting a bow when I was like 10 or 11 with my grandpa and he would always be in the garage working on arrows and give me arrows to shoot and stuff like that. And he, uh, he got me into bow hunting, but he was also a big duck hunter when he was younger. So as he got a little bit older, he started to get into more bow hunting stuff and just shooting archery. And my, I've kind of flipped in what I've done. So I did a lot more bow hunting when I was younger. Um, and I'm done a lot more waterfall hunting in the last like eight to 10 years now, probably eight, eight, eight to nine years now. Mm-hmm like reasonably about eight to nine years um the first few years uh i was still bow hunting and we would go duck hunting like two weekends a year and i'd always be thinking about going uh bow hunting when i was duck hunting so i'd be it'd be like october opener and it'd be a cold front and i'd be in the duck blind and my dad would just be like or my dad like let's go duck hunting. I'm like yeah okay fine we'll go duck hunting. And I'd be in the duck blind and be like I know there's a buck walking under my stand right now. It's cold <laughs> out. There's got to be deer walking right under my stand right now. All these pins I have. And uh, I would actually bring my bow hunting stuff with me because we do a lot of hunting. We did a lot of hunting on the Mississippi River. Mm-hmm. So I would bring my bow stuff with me. And I was pretty amateur to like the bluffs and stuff, but I would get out there and hunt the bluffs a little bit. And uh, it was it was pretty fun just getting out and doing both. And then over the course of like maybe a four year span, uh, we started doing just a little bit more duck hunting every year. And I was still wishing that I was bow hunting when I was duck hunting. And then the end of like the third year, we had just a great weekend of mallard hunting out on the Mississippi. It was snowing the last day. But I think on the whole weekend we shot, I don't know, probably 20 ish birds. I think we could me and my dad could shoot about eight a day total. Well, each four. Um, so we, we, uh, had a great hunt on the last day of the season. It was snowing. We got like five inches of snow overnight, three or three to five inches of snow overnight. And then we got another like four inches during the day while we were hunting and you couldn't see above the trees. It was snowing pretty hard. So we'd hear the birds chitter chatter over your head, the big groups of them. And then you'd just rip off a call and they would just dive into the, dive into the spread and you'd see them about 50 yards out and here they come. And we, you know, you'd shoot one or two out of the group and then sit there for 20 minutes and you hear that chatter again. You're like, Oh man, this is unbelievable. Just seeing those mallards cupping through the snow. That's what really hooked me on waterfowl hunting. Mm -hmm. And then the next year I did more waterfowl hunting than bow hunting. And then by the year after that, I only bow hunted one time all year and I waterfowl hunted every other weekend. 
or every every other time that I could. I think I went out for the opener, and that was it. In fact, if you look back at my videos, my last bow hunting video uh, was like an opener video, I want to say, and I think that was the last time I was bow hunting, oh, which was probably four years ago, I want to say. Jeez. So, so you're I saying I'm in danger here. Yeah, I still shoot my bow. Um, I still shoot my bow quite a bit. Like in the summers, I shoot spot leagues and archery and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I shoot some 3D stuff. And uh, so I still shoot my bows a lot, probably more than a normal, like even a bow hunter shoots them typically. You know, I'll shoot hundreds of arrows a week just in my basement at the sh- at the club and things like that. But uh, yeah, I just, I became addicted to waterfall hunting after that year. And it's just kind of been growing ever since. And then, you know, so I've been hunting just generally speaking, probably my whole life. I remember like being a little kid shooting like pigeons off my buddy's farm and, you know, off the silos in his farm and stuff. And, uh, are you still there Pierce? Yeah. Yeah. Your screen froze. So I wasn't sure. And, uh, so yeah, so we were, um, we did just a ton of that little stuff. I remember like, uh, uh, being out with like on the farm and they're shooting like blackbirds and stuff and crows and all the stuff flying over and they'd bring deer back like from deer camp and things like that. So it was, uh, it was definitely, uh, hunting has just been a part of my life. My whole life waterfall hunting is more like the last, you know, eight to 10 years or so. Sure. So that's kind of like how I got into all that stuff. I always like to tell like how I got hooked on, on waterfall because I just think it's a good story. And it's kind of like that. It's that teeter totter of, of bow hunting and waterfall hunting. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Gosh, you, you uh, I tell you what, you, you had me there uh, just picturing the, you know, those, those ducks coming in, cupping through the snow and all that. Like, I feel like that's kind of the, the, uh, the, the duck hunting marketers dream right there. That's what everybody, uh, everybody kind of pictures and, and thinks of when they're, uh, when they're thinking about that. So in, in that, you mentioned, uh, you know, your channel and filming hunts and stuff like that. Um, talk to me a little bit about somewhere in Wisconsin and, uh, kind of how you got started in, in, in filming yourself and filming your hunts. Yeah. So everything I film is uh, I'm somewhere in Wisconsin on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. Um, everything I film is basically with two or three cameras. It's uh, mostly head cam, GoPro head cam footage. And I feel like I do it a little bit different than a lot of the other YouTubers that film with the GoPros out there because I worked, I shoot really wide, but I shoot in high resolution. Mm-hmm. So I crop in a lot of my stuff. So it doesn't necessarily always look like GoPro footage as you envision it typically doing. Um, if I'm like layout hunting in a field, I, a lot of times I'll have the camera set behind the blinds and it's almost like someone's sitting back there with a camera because I'm sh- shooting wide, I'm shooting in high res so I can crop in my footage pretty tight and I can follow the birds like in, in, um, in like post, like when I'm editing and stuff, I can, you know, track the birds in the camera because I'm cropping in so far. So that kind of is uh, one, it's just kind of something that I do with my footage to trying to get, kind of get rid of that, like GoPro feel. Mm-hmm. And I actually learned how to edit footage. Uh, I'm a fourth grade teacher and uh, I learned to edit footage from one of my students. Um, he made this commercial in class for like his baseball. We were working on like advertisements mm-hmm. and, he, and he made this commercial and he did it in iMovie. And I was like, I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And he showed me how to edit. And then like the next year I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to film my hunts. Uh, there's not that many waterfallers out there sharing their like footage. And I was pretty new when I started waterfall, like filming was probably like my third year of where I was like into it, like totally into it. Sure. Um, where I was like, I would rather go waterfall hunting than actual like bow hunting. 
So I was like, I want to film my hunts. I, my cousin gave me a cheap camera to start. And the next year I bought a GoPro, threw it on my head, put one behind me, like over my shoulder, kind of in the blind. And um, that's where I film all of my hunts from. And then I learned how to edit in the meantime and figured out, you know, what people like to watch and how they like to watch the clips and what they didn't like. And um, so over the process, it's been kind of, kind of fun, but it is, it's kind of a grind to come home after hunting, getting in the marsh really early, then download all the footage, take a couple hours to download the footage. Then you got to scrub through all the footage and get stuff, get rid of stuff that you don't want that you're not going to use. And then finally you can sit down and be like, okay, how can I shape the story? Cause I don't like film it to create a story. I'm hunting and I just happen to be filming it. That's kind of like my okay. philosophy on filming. So I'm out there hunting. I honestly will. Sometimes I won't even film an intro. I'll film it in my garage afterwards to make it look like it's the morning of, <laughs> depending <laughs> on how it goes. But uh, I don't always do that, but I do that quite a bit, especially if I'm hunting like fields and stuff where we get there and we got to do a bunch of work. Sure. Uh, but yeah, so it's uh, it, it's been fun. I just decided to start it to kind of share my, my grandpa, he hunts a lot of the same areas or he hunted a lot of the same areas that I still hunt today. And uh, he, he liked seeing the videos and like seeing where we were hunting. So I'm like, I'm just gonna start making some videos and, and I think he'll like them. So uh, he watches every video still to this day. My grandpa does. Um, unfortunately, my dad who got me into waterfall hunting, mostly he passed away this last July. Um, and uh, that was kind of tough, but it's been a, uh, it's been fun learning and hunting with him in the blind and things like that. I think one of the things that really got me like loving waterfall was that I could spend time with my friends, with my dad, and you didn't necessarily have to be quiet, quiet. You know, you could hang out, you could joke around, goof around. It wasn't as isolating um, as like bow hunting was. And I liked the isolation as well. Um, so now that my dad's gone, I probably will have, I'll have a lot more solo hunts on my channel and things like that. But I also hunt with buddies quite a bit too. So mm -hmm. uh, I'll definitely miss my dad in the blind this year. It'll be a different feeling, different feel. Cause wherever I was, my dad was always there. So It'll be a weird season for sure with uh, not having my dad in the blind this year. He's uh, he was 67. He hunted all the way to the end. He um, he got sick like early June and then he passed away early July. Uh, he was sick probably longer than that. He had cancer and he just he didn't know. And it kind of happened really fast. So it was it was kind of shocking because he hunted all the way through last season. And I have one more hunt of his last river uh, Mississippi River hunt that I haven't posted yet. Not for a reason. I just never got to editing it last year and I still haven't edited it yet. So it was a really great hunt. We shot like 24 birds or 21 birds, I think, on that hunt. The four of us did. And it was just a blast of a hunt. So I'm looking forward to get that. I'll probably publish it like in November. Um, and then I posted his last duck hunt as well uh, earlier this season, just a, a few weeks ago. I published that on the YouTube channel. And then I also published, um, uh, what else did I publish? I had one more that I published with him in it, I thought. Oh, his last goose hunt, which was technically his last ever waterfall hunt. I posted that last January during late goose season. It was that 45 and five hunt. I think we shot 45 birds, five bands, and uh, it was a blast of a hunt. It was like the season uh, opening, like the late season goose opened back up and mm -hmm. we had just a good feed and we smashed them in there. So it was pretty fun. But yeah, it'll be an interesting year with not having my dad in the blind for sure. I'm not really sure how it's going to go, but I'll probably get a little bit more solo hunting in. I'll probably be hunting with other buddies that i maybe didn't hunt with quite as much um but i know i'll still be hunting the mississippi i know i'll still be hunting the stuff that i normally hunt just sometimes it might be with different people and definitely won't be with my dad unfortunately yeah yeah well man i'm sorry to hear that 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 yeah, really is it. unfortunate um 
So with that, I mean, it, it sounds like, I mean, you're talking here 40 plus bird days there and 40 plus bird. Is that snow geese you're getting on or is that? Uh... No, these were Canada's. Yeah, these were Canada's. Okay. During late season in Wisconsin, you can shoot five Canada's a day. Okay. And it's actually a pretty, we had a big group. Like in the morning, the birds didn't really fly and we shot a few and we sent a few home with the guys who were there. Mm-hmm. And then in the afternoon, we had like, I don't know, maybe 30 birds left, 25 birds left to shoot with for nine of us of our 45 that we could shoot. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, cleaned out our limits there. And, and uh, I think that happened pretty fast. And we had just an awesome display the last 20 minutes of shooting time. We had thousands of geese, thousands of geese come and land on us. Really? Uh, just a super cool video. Yeah. Um, you'll oh. see if you, if you go to the channel, it's, I think it's pinned to the top. So if you've never been to my channel before, it should show up right at the top. Um, it's just, you see just a bunch of geese, the sun's kind of setting, but it's like a thousand geese in the air. Cause we kind of bumped them up when we were going to pack up and they all just got up and were flying away. They were kind of flushing away, but it was, it was a cool thumbnail, cool hunt, just unbelievable hunt. And one thing my dad said on that hunt, he said, he said, uh, he was sitting right next to me. We were hunting layouts and he goes, at one point, all these geese were landing around us. He goes, this is the greatest thing ever. I've never seen anything like this in my life. And I wish I had it on camera. I don't have it on camera when he said that, but um, it, it was a cool way for him to end his waterfall career. Cause that was legit his last waterfall hunt. And then he got sick in June. I mean, like officially sick in June and uh, he passed away in, in early July. So yeah, it was a great last season with him. I'm just glad I got to hunt so much with him the last, you know, eight, 10 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's, it's just been such an adventure. And I, I'm, I'm glad I have all these videos that, I have for the rest of my life, show my kids. Um, my daughter won't know. He won't remember grandpa boat. Uh, my son, he remembers grandpa boat. And, and uh, yeah, it's, it'll be, it's kind of cool. I mean, it's kind of cool to have all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So, which is kind of why, why I started filming in the first place. I just kind of want to capture those moments, save them. And uh, you only remember certain little snippets of your like waterfall career, but I've done a lot of good job of like capturing a lot of those good moments and I'll have those forever. So yeah, it's pretty man. cool. That's, that's basically awesome. why I started filming my stuff. You know, I've always been into like videos and cameras and things like that. But once that my fourth grade student, um, once he taught me how to edit film, I was like, this is what I'm doing. I know I'm going to film, so film my hunts now. And I filmed oh. some boat stuff too for a couple sure. of years. Yeah, sure. Yeah. That's awesome, man. And I think, you know, being able to, to share those hunts and stuff with your kids who, who might not remember him now, but they're going to be able to see that and, you know, see all the time that you guys shared together outside. I mean, you just hope that that, uh, you know, that uh, I'm sure you're doing a heck of a job instilling that uh, love of the outdoors and, you know, waterfowl hunting in them already, but being able to see that, uh, you know, that grandpa was doing that too. Um, yeah. That's something yeah, actually that's really special. My, man. Yeah, for sure. hundred percent special. I actually took my son out um, for youth opener this year. It was his first waterfowl hunt. Oh, awesome. And everything. He didn't shoot a bird. We had some, he's eight. Mm-hmm. So he was shooting off some sticks. And he had a 410 and we're like, our job, our goal was to try to land a wood duck in the decoys. There's some teal in the decoys. Well, we landed four teal. They almost centered square up on the, on us, like perfectly squared up on us. And they kind of, they kind of circled. If you've never hunted teal, teal will all, almost always circle and then land. They won't almost, they, a lot of times they won't land their first pass. They'll give you a passing shot, which is a tough shot, but a lot of times they'll circle back around and give you a nice decoying shot, like within 10 seconds after that pass especially in bigger groups, like big wads of teal, like 10, 20 birds, they'll, they'll 
buzz the decoys, swing out 50, 80 yards, and then come right into the decoys. And then they're going slow, like just hovering over there and you just mm-hmm. pick them off. It's like, you know, shooting. Huh. Uh, I don't know. It, they're just like bang, bang, bang. You could shoot like triples and doubles a lot easier when they, when they do that. No kidding. Um, yeah. But anyway, so our goal is to try to land teal in the decoys. If you've ever seen teal land, at least blue wings, they'll land and then they get up out of the water and they fly over here and then they land again and they fly over here and they land again, like three to five feet from where they started. Right. Mm-hmm. And then eventually they'll fly away. So we had these de- the birds come in square up. I thought they were going to land. They came back around, didn't land the second time. And then the third time they came around and they landed off to the left of our spread. So my son's like in the front of the boat, the left is way to the left. He's got to shoot across me and my buddy kind of not across us, but on an angle in front of us. Mm-hmm. And he's on the, on the shooting sticks and he's like moving around and making all kinds of noise. And <laughs> these teal are, these teal are getting up. And then, you know, he's like just about to pull the trigger. He's like, they move. I'm like, just, just take your time. Just don't worry. Just shoot it, shoot it back in. Like, shoot it <laughs> you know what I mean? Just pick the closest one and shoot it. But he's, he's still pretty young. Like knowing how to handle the gun. It was like, it was pretty funny. Right. So yeah. we never did get a shot off. We never oh. did get a shot. And then we asked him, I'm like, all right, Becca, what time do you want to pick up today? Because he's pretty young. So I knew we were probably only good for a few hours, a couple hours. He's like, eight o'clock. I'm like, all right. But I'm just warning you, we normally sit till nine. He's like, I want to pick up at eight. I want to pick up at eight. I'm like, okay, that's cool. No, no worries. I'm like, but as soon as we start picking up, you're going to have birds coming. You know that, right? I'm like, they always fly at nine. He's like, ah, they're at, at, at eight. And he's like, ah, that's okay. That's okay. Sure enough, as soon as we start picking up, some mallards fly over or like, he gets set back in the blind and then uh, he's like, all right, I mean, you sure you don't want to see any longer? He's like, no, I don't want to see any longer. Well, then we're picking up. I case my gun. My buddy Max cases his gun and uh, Beckett's gun is still out, but it's a 410. And all of a sudden we're honk, honk. And I'm like, did you hear that? Goose? <laughs> and it's like, yeah. And I turn around and my gun's cased. My buddy's gun is cased. And maybe 150 yards away, this these two geese are just like low over the cattails mm-hmm. and they're coming at, like right at us and honk so i'm like get your gun out get your gun out so me and max pull our guns out real quick uncase the guns we each throw three shells in there i don't know how he did it and as soon as i loaded my third shell these two geese were coming right at us one split to the right to, to my buddy max one split to the left to me we're like take them and bang we shot them they both fell in the water and died and we got some cool pictures pictures of my son back at picking up the decoys and stuff so <laughs> or the geese out of the decoys it was pretty cool that's awesome, man. So and that's all he loved that. Like he thought that was so cool. And then we brought the geese home. We ate them that night. He loves eating geese um, and ducks, but uh, you got to make them certain ways so they taste good. We can talk about that a little bit later on the podcast. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Well, I mean, you're, you're there's a lot of stuff that I want to cover between now and then. First one, though, you, you said you're taking a four ten out there. You can duck hunt with a four ten. You can get the job done. You can you can. Um, the reason we took the 410 is, I, I mean, this, uh, this is kind of dumb, but my, I had my son shooting bismuth. Mm-hmm. So he was shooting, uh, I think it was four shot in bismuth. So there's plenty of BBs in there. Um, some guys duck hunt with a 28 gauge, which is almost the same size as a 410. Yeah. And uh, we had my son out shooting like the day before. He shot the gun like for the last two years. It's not, it's not his, but it's one of my buddy's guns. And uh, he'll go on the yard and he'll shoot like off sticks mm-hmm. or like I'll kind of hold it and then he'll aim it. Um, and he can, he could hit a bottle pretty much every time and it would decimate the, it would, I mean, the four time would decimate the bottle at 20 yards. Yeah. So our goal was to get a duck or a, a teal to land at 20 yards. And then, you know, we'll try to take it off the water that way. So, yeah. Sure. So yeah, you can, I mean, it's not ideal to shoot a, a duck, you know, with a four ten, but if you want to get your kid out there and, 
and you're smart about it and you know you get it get it close enough and the bird's sitting there long enough you could easily shoot a, a duck with a 410 yeah sure totally so it's a small gun but it's it's uh you know we were shooting number fours in business so it's a little more dense a little smaller mm-hmm. bbs more bbs in the 410 because you can shoot a little smaller shot but yeah, yeah yeah totally yeah i know guys who uh who turkey hunt with a 410 and it's yeah. like you can do it but you got to be a little careful doing it so they're shooting like probably tss right yeah yeah they're shooting yeah, TSS and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we're gonna circle back to guns here and we start covering some gear first. But as I mentioned, I'm a total newbie when it comes to uh waterfowl hunting. And I, I know that waterfowl, you know, those who waterfowl are into it, right? And then there's everybody else who sees it, they're sort of familiar with it, but maybe they've, you know, it's just something they haven't wanted to try. You know, they think, ah, it's really gear intensive. I don't really know. I don't really know what I'm doing, all that kind of stuff. But before we get into all that stuff, can you give me just a brief overview here of, I mean, basically waterfowl 101 here. What are we looking at for food? What are we looking at for habitat? You mentioned a cold front coming through. Um, yeah. it, you know, I'm not entirely sure what the best place to start or what the, the best angle is to take yeah. on that. Um, but, but what's the, what's the general overview there? What, what are we looking for here if we're getting into? Yeah, so, you know, we can leave the gear for later. Um, mm-hmm. but as far as like where ducks hang out, um, I mean, I've shot ducks in deep water. I've shot ducks in shallow water. Uh, I've shot ducks over mud. I've mm-hmm. shot ducks in fields. Um, so a, a duck's habitat is, is pretty broad. They can, you can, you know, take a duck or harvest a duck in a lot of different places and situations, which I think why waterfowl hunting is pretty cool. And on my channel, like I hunt rivers, I hunt, I've hunted lakes in fairly populated areas where mm-hmm. it's legal to discharge a firearm. Um, I've hunted, uh, marshes, smaller marshes, big marshes, walk-in marshes, uh, kayak-in marshes, big boat marshes where you bring your big boat into, onto the Mississippi river. Um, so you can, you can really almost always find ducks to hunt, especially in Wisconsin, in the Midwest, uh, you can always find ducks to hunt. Um, if you're hunting lakes, if you're going to try to hunt them on lakes, I would suggest uh, if, especially if it's like a fairly populated area, check the municipality, make sure it's legal to discharge a firearm, make sure where it's legal to discharge a firearm, make sure there's no restricted, um, restricted areas on the lake like that the dnr sets because some lakes will set like a restricted area we're not allowed to shoot the ducks it's like a safe zone technically um so yeah so that's like some things to think about but ducks eat seeds like the my favorite way to kill ducks is over like flooded vegetation um either on the mississippi river uh flooded in fields um flooded in marshes like a lot of the marshes that i'm hunting right now they've been so dry the last few years that there's been like millet or which is like barnyard grass that has little seed pods on them Mm-hmm. that floods and when that floods that is duck candy um there's a, a weed called smart weed out there and it's a little pink it's got little pink uh pink um seeds on it like pink flowers on it in late early fall late summer and it's probably about belly button to chest tall and uh, if that floods that's that is like the duck candy that's where you want to be if it's flooded and if that's probably where there's going to be ducks um but I like we've hunted those flooded grass flats last year. We hunted them quite a bit and shot a lot of ducks over those flooded grass flats. We actually there's one flooded in a marsh that we hunt for early duck and we had water behind us 
we had grass in front of us and we had no, um, there wasn't really any visible water in front of us. It was just the grass. And there was like maybe three to four inches of water inside of that grass that we kind of knocked out. We knocked, let's walked around on it a little bit when we were setting decoys, but we actually hunted the grass rather than hunted the water behind us. Cause we know those ducks, they'll come over and they'll just hover over your spinners. If you got like a spinning wind decoy out, mm-hmm. especially the teal, which we had a lot around, they'll hover right over that. And then you just shoot them right there at 15, 20 yards in the grass. And you got to get over there and find them pretty quick. But mm-hmm. I love hunting them over that, like over the grasses, um, over the smart weed. Um, that's a great way to kill ducks. If you have rivers that are low all summer and the weeds are growing in the bank, it's likely smart weed or it's bar- the barnyard grass. Almost almost a, like 60 to 70% of the time, I would say it's one of those two grasses that are growing. And the ducks just love those, especially you see all those little seeds on the water. And if you see that, it's a good place to duck hunt. Um, you can also shoot them in fields. So late in the year, it's it can be really good duck hunting in, in uh, like cornfields and stuff. Uh, just you know cut cornfields all they they eat all the scraps that are left on the field just like just like geese and a lot of times we'll kill our ducks in fields uh we'll kill them over goose decoys we won't even kill them over duck de- decoys so that's huh. that's fairly common knowledge uh if you're a waterfowler like a field hunter that you can kill your ducks over goose decoy only spreads because the ducks feel safe when the geese are there so there's been times we've shot you know 10 to 12 ducks and we'll have just a goose spread out. We won't even have hardly any ducks in the spread, but throw some spinners out there for sure. hundred percent of the time, if you're hunting a field for ducks and you're hunting for ducks only, or you're just hunting ducks, spinners and as many spinners you get in that field, the better. Cause the, the, uh, the ducks love the spinners in fields. They don't always love them in water, um, but they absolutely love them in fields and you can hunt them every single day in fields and the, the ducks will just come right in on the spinners in fields. No kidding. So is that? Yeah, now the is, kids don't like them as much. They don't like the spinners as much. So we we always run them on remotes. So we'll just turn them off. Okay, gotcha. And so is that? Is it important to then have uh, you know proximity to water in late season? Then, or if you're going to field hunt, does it have field to be near a pond a field. or near? Uh, what, yeah, what you either they have to be. Yeah, you either have to be seeing the ducks in the field already, or seeing the ducks fly over the field. If okay. you're, if you can see the ducks fly over the field, like from a roost pond, which um, you want to talk a little about roost in a little bit, but if you, if you can find a pond where there's a lot of ducks in it in the middle of the day slash in the evening, they're coming back to it and uh, like right before dark, um, you can get there in the morning, like first light and watch which direction they're going and then get to a spot where you think they're going and then get to that spot and then just watch the sky see them fly over, see where they're going from there. And then just keep, basically keep moving down the road until you see where they're actually going or where hopefully they fly over a field. You have permission on, sure. um, but if they're flying over the field and you run a big goose spread with spinners, there's a good chance you can traffic the the ducks into that field. Okay. Yeah. So Gosh. that's kind of how like we do a lot of our field hunting with ducks. Like we'll see them in the area and then we'll try to get permission under them or in the X or on the X, wherever those ducks are actually sure. feeding. So yeah, I, mean, I don't want to ton of ducks in fields, um, but you know I like hunting ducks on water on public land. That's like my favorite thing to do. Yeah, but I know like that's how we like scout for ducks if we want to hunt ducks in a field. Sure, absolutely. So I've got a couple of questions here. The, the the second one's going to be on uh, public land, but the first one you mentioned trying to figure out what direction they're going. Um, so I mean, most of us know kind of common knowledge that you know ducks are they're flying south, right? Um, yeah. 
So, so is that generally just kind of like the starting point or is it a matter like, will they sort of meander, you know, going yeah. in general like, south? Like, will they kind of meander? Or how does that? Uh... I'm talking about ducks like in a field. I'm typically just talking mostly about mallards. Uh, like, you know, 80% of the ducks that we kill in field, not all, well, probably 95% of the ducks we kill in fields are mallards. Mm-hmm. You might shoot a tail here and there. You might shoot a pintail here and there. Wood ducks, we've shot wood ducks in fields before, plenty of those. But um, when I'm saying which direction they're flying, I'm saying like the mallards will fly the ice line. So if there's ice up north and there's no ice where you are, you're going to have mallards to hunt. And those a lot of times those mallards that are coming late, They'll stay until they have to leave. Whether there's too much snow or too much ice, they'll stay. Now, like I have a spot that I hunt and it's uh, it's near Lake Michigan. And once all the neighborhood ponds freeze, the ducks will then roost. They'll stay on Lake Michigan because there's open water there. They'll come off Lake Michigan and fly right over my field. So that's how we shoot them in that field. Um, So I don't even necessarily at this point have to scout for ducks in that field. I know that when the neighborhood ponds freeze... And all the suburb, like the area that I hunt, when all that stuff freezes, the ponds and the little marshy areas, all that's open is a little river here and there. And Lake Michigan is huge body water, and there's the ducks and the geese flood to it. And for some reason, every year, they always flood to the same part of this, you know, at least there's always a pot of them in this area, and they'll fly right over my field because it's the first field off the off the lake. It's really kind of cool. That is cool. So, yeah, so once, and they'll just hang out. They'll mill around in the area until they have to leave. And then once the weather pushes in and the ice, then they push south a little farther until there's, you know, until there's open water and food sure. or no snow, you know. And then once the ice shows up there, boom, they'll push a little farther. They're only going to go as far as a lot of them. A lot of the mallards are only going to go as far as they have to go south. Um, a lot of them still will go all the way south, like to Arkansas and the, and the coast and everything. But there's a lot of mallards that will only stay on the ice line. And wherever the ice line is, that's where they are. And I've seen mallards in the middle of winter and there'll be a, you know, 40 by 50 foot wide hole in the middle of a lake. And it'll be all mallards and geese sitting on that hole to keep, try to keep it open so they can still stay there. No kidding. Yeah. 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 So like if you drive around like late in the year, like bigger bodies of water and you just take your binoculars and you glass out there, like the little holes that aren't frozen yet, Mm -hmm. a lot of times there'll be ducks and geese on them in the middle of the day or like early morning and stuff. Sure. So yeah. I want I do want to circle back here because you mentioned roost pond. Explain mm-hmm. that that concept to me here. Is it um or it might even be more more beneficial for us to cover different species because I'm not sure how how each species differ and where they roost. Sure. I know each of them like kind of different sort of habitat and stuff. Um mm-hmm. yeah, so if we're just talking really about ducks. And if you're hunting ducks in fields, a lot of times they're going to roost in your neighborhood. I mean, so we live, like I live in like a suburb. Mm-hmm. So, and it's legal to hunt in parts of our suburb where it's legal to hunt, we'll hunt them. So a lot of times these ducks will load up in these neighborhood ponds, you know, that are put in or the big businesses that have ponds, like that we mm-hmm. get a ton of ducks off the big, the big ponds that the businesses are putting in, like the big buildings when they're doing the construction on those. Um, will those will load up with ducks, geese and ducks. And a lot of times they turn into roost ponds. They're safe. You can't hunt them there. They feel safe there and they will stay there all year. And the numbers in those spots just get bigger and bigger and bigger until they freeze out and then they're gone. And then when they unfreeze, they come back like in the spring or whatever. Um, so yeah, you, we look for a lot of those where we hunt in my areas where we hunt, like if we're hunting ducks in fields, 
geese in fields. That's what we're looking for, for like our roosts. Um, if you're hunting like marshes, ducks like cover, um, cattail marshes, like that have water up into the cattails and little pockets and openings, the ducks will just hover right over the cattails and drop right into the cattails. Like it'll look like it's just a sea of cattails, but they'll roost inside of those cattails. They feel safe there. No hunters go in there. They can fly over those cattails whether they're not. They're not getting shoot at, shot at and inside those cattails. So like um, one of the marshes we hunt, it's not holding a lot of birds right now because the water's not up into the cattails. So all that's holding water are the little ponds on the public land. Um, whereas if we get another foot of water in there, the water would be up into the weeds, up into the grasses, up into the cattails. And that gives more opportunities for birds to roost and feel safe inside of that marsh. Gotcha. Um, same thing with the Mississippi river, they'll, they'll roost in like backwater ponds or big open water, like big giant open water. Mm -hmm. um, that's a lot of times where like the birds will end up roosting, sleeping at night basically is what the roost is. It's where they sleep at night on water. Okay. Gotcha. Cause it's, and, and, uh, it's secure for them. Right. Right. And so are that's they, so from a hunting standpoint, then would it, it naturally, I think it would be, I mean, from what it sounds like is that it would be beneficial to locate where they're roosting and then make a playoff of that. Now, are you, are you ever hunting that roost pond? If it's, you know, say it's on public ground and maybe it's just thick, or are you make, trying to set up near that or in the so, direction? Like a lot there? of the field stuff we do around here, we can't hunt the roosts because they are, um, they're on, they're on like private property. You can't hunt sure. them on like property. So you can't really hunt them. Um, you try to avoid hunting roosts for the most part, you know, but people still will like bust a roost. Like if the roost is on a lake, they'll sit it and they'll hunt it which is fine. They'll just, the birds just move to another roost somewhere else. A lot of guys like in our area, they'll hunt birds coming off the roost and they like to keep the roost there because then the birds are there you know where the birds sure. are. I just got to find, okay, which field are they hitting today? Yeah. And they'll hit that field for a week straight. And then they're going to move to another field because they'll eat everything out of that field. Uh, so then there'll be another field or you try to get under them and traffic them off of that roost. That's just like you do with the ducks. Gotcha. Um, so that's kind of, that's kind of how we, kill them around by us but yeah that's was that did i answer your question yeah yeah no that yeah. was great that, that's that's fascinoh man I, <laughs> I, so, yeah like if i'm scouting and i'm scouting field hunting or fields uh the first thing i try to find is i i'll go to a high spot i'll look where i see birds flying and i look where they're flying from and wherever they're coming from that's telling me okay that's generally the roost like if you're sitting there in the afternoon and you're looking for the evening flight, wherever they're coming from is either their, their loaf or they're hanging out during the day or it's their roost. A lot of times they're both where we live because they're just neighborhood ponds sure. um, or like business park ponds. Um, so that's kind of what we look for. And then you find where they're coming from and then you can a lot of times see where they're going down from those high points too. And they're like, okay, it's in that field. I know, I know exactly where that is because I've scouted these fields and I know where these fields are. I know there's corn in this one. The birds are on corn right now. So I know there's corn here, corn here, corn there, and corn there. So they're in one of these four fields, like hundred percent, you know, sure. and then you go and you look for them in the field. If you see them in the field, then you got to get permission on it. I don't yeah. like to ask permission at the time, like on stuff. I would rather get permission on it. Like the couple days before I'm going to hunt it. Okay. Cause I could go around all summer and get permission on stuff. And then there's never a bird flying over it and you just wasted a bunch of time. Right. So I'll, I am hesitant to ask permission in the middle of summer, end of summer, but I will almost always, if I see birds in a field, I will go ask permission to hunt that field. And I'll just say, Hey, do you mind if, you know, I see a bunch of geese in your field. Do you mind if I hunt it on Saturday? I'll give them, I'll just say, do you mind if I hunt it for one day? 
like on Saturday mm-hmm. or would Sunday work better for you? Like I try to like give them like, feel like they have a choice cause it's their land. Like, do you mind if I hunted on Saturday or maybe even Sunday, if you want, you know, me and a couple buddies. And a lot of times, a lot of times they'll say, yeah, cause it's not like you could just have free reign on my property. It's like, you're going to hunt it on Saturday or Sunday. Right. And they, a lot of times say, yeah, sure. Go ahead. Well then the next year, guess what? Birds are flying over that field again. You've already talked to that neighbor. You got their number. You shoot them a text. Hey, I saw some birds in your field. Um, um, I, I hunted it last year. My name's Chase, blah, blah, blah. And uh, yeah, go ahead. Have fun. Sweet. Thanks. And <laughs> now you pretty much got them locked in for whenever you see birds in their fields, you can hunt their stuff. Right. That's how I've gotten permission on like probably, I mean, most of my fields that I've gotten permission on, I've been in that manner. I see birds in it. I ask right that day, ask to hunt it the next day or two days later. And they're like, yeah, sure. Go ahead. And then over time, you just kind of build a relationship with them. You send them thank you cards. You stop in after the season and and you kind of just build a relationship with them. So they feel like they know who you are. They can trust you and, and you're good to go on the field then. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Building that relationship with the landowner is so critical. I mean, no matter what you're hunting or fishing or whatever you're doing, man, it's that is, it's, I mean, just that's a skill that never uh, that, that never hurts developing. That's for sure. Just want to take a quick minute to let you know that the Wisconsin Sportsman podcast is brought to you by Tacticam, makers of the best point of view cameras on the market for hunters and anglers. They're on the cutting edge, making user-friendly cameras to help the everyday outdoorsman share your hunt with friends and loved ones. Their new 6.0 camera has a ton of upgraded features this year, but the one I'm most excited about is the new LCD touchscreen. In my mind, that is a total game changer. And one area Tacticam really shines is with their mounts and adapters that are made with the sportsman in mind. If you've tried to film your hunting and fishing excursions, you know just how frustrating it can be to try to get an action camera aimed just right or get it attached to your weapon or in a good spot for a second angle. Well, Tacticam makes all of that a breeze with their line of mounts and adapters. This fall, I'm gonna be using their stabilizer mount on my bow with the 6.0 camera and their bendy clamp paired with the 5.0 wide camera for a second angle and to make sure I don't miss any of the action. To learn more and check out their full line of products, head over to their website, tacticam.com and share your hunt with Tacticam. On the note then of, of scouting, you mentioned getting on a high point, kind of looking around, when you're scouting, so say you're you're going into a new spot or something like that, are you are you typically e-scouting ahead of time? You're looking on the map for like, ah, this looks pretty good. Is it a lot of just while you're driving around? Um, um, yeah. So like if I'm in my if I'm in my boat, so if I'm scouting, generally scouting for the area that I live in, I pretty much know where everything is. I know where the roost ponds are. I I just got to find the birds and which ponds they're using. And I'm just watching the birds and seeing where they go. That's my scouting in the area. I'm not looking for new stuff. Um, I'm not like trying to figure out like um, fields or who owns stuff. Cause I, we pretty much already know who owns all the stuff around us. So we're not really looking at like, we know who says no on properties. We know who says yes on properties. So we like, we know if there's birds in a field and they're on this property A and we're like, they always say no to us. We'll get on property B right next to it that they say, yeah, and we'll just try to traffic them onto that field instead. Right. So that's kind of the scouting there. If I'm going out on my duck boat, a lot of the scouting I'm scouting in the summers, like late summer, I'm scouting for that food, that tall grass, the smart weed. I'm looking for the smart weed. I'm looking for the millet. I'm looking for the food where the ducks will eventually want to be. And it's like, okay, if it floods, the ducks will end up here for sure. Because sure. they're they're there every year if there's food. Um, that's kind of what I'm looking for as far as like scouting early season. I'm checking water levels. Uh, when I go into scout places, 
can I get my big boat in there? Do I need to use my little boat? Um, do I have to take a kayak? You know, just kind of got to figure out which boat I want to use. And I've been doing it long enough and I'm so addicted that I have like any boat you could possibly want. So that's also <laughs> a problem. Um, but yeah, so like that's how I scout marshes. I scout for food. If it's during the hunting season and I'm hunting an area for the first time, there's a couple things I'll do. Either like reach out to a friend who's hunted it before and I'll be like, hey, I'm headed up here. Um, anything I need to know about the area before I just go in in the dark. And I'm not, nest, I'm not asking for like, uh, for spots. Cause I can e-scout like on online for spots, right. like, Oh, rivers down two feet. So be careful in this area, stay in this channel, watch out for this. You know, that's basically what I'm looking for mm-hmm. is like, where is it safe to boat? Where can I boat? Um, anything I need to know about the area. And then they're like, you know, and I just kind of go on my way and I just give it a, a try. And that first morning in a place, I'll sit a spot just like I sit when I'm scouting for geese, not a high point in a marsh, but I'll sit a spot where I can see the sky. Yeah. And that's, and, and hopefully my job, like the first day is like, okay, hopefully I kill a few birds, you know, three to eight birds, me and my dad or whatever last year. And then, but our goal is to find a spot to hunt the next day while we're sitting there. So you'll see, okay, the birds are really working this stretch of rice over here on the Mississippi, or they're working this wood line over there. Um, so that's kind of how we scout out of the Mississippi is we'll hunt and we're scouting while we're hunting. And if we see a lot of birds going to a spot, we will pick up our stuff and go there immediately and just sit it and hunt it the rest of the day. If it's something where it's like, okay, there's a flock working in here, a flock working it there. We'll save it for the next morning. We'll hunt it the next morning. You know, like, but we'll have a pin, we'll wait for the birds to get up in the evening. We'll check it. We'll pin it. And then we'll go hunt it in the morning the next day. That's how a lot of our like mallards we find in the trees mm-hmm. on my channel. We we hunt this point specifically so we can see everything. It's not the best spot necessarily, but it's the best spot to see everything. So then the next day we can, if there's birds using the area, then we can we can pretty much pin them down and and know exactly where they're working and and, and what they're doing. Right. Okay. Yeah. I so mean, it's a lot kinda, of real time scouting then. Yep, real time scouting, especially when we're hunting the Mississippi. You're hunting a lot of migrators at that time of year anyway. Um, so if the birds on public land have a chance to settle in and get into a routine, which isn't always that common, you might get one or two hunts like that a year where you find them in a routine on public land. Mm-hmm. It just means there really haven't been many birds there, but now there are birds there because there hasn't been people in there hunting them. Um, like so that's how we ended up finding them, like on that those public land spots. Sure. Really. So are you looking for when you're scouting for a spot, are you looking for spots that maybe might be a little more difficult to access something that maybe it's a little further into the marsh than what other people are generally, you know, may or may not be willing to go or wanting to go. Is there any aspect of that to it? Or is it a lot of just kind of. Especially our local stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Like a lot of people that hunt the local stuff, they'll boat in, they'll crawl over the dike and they'll hunt off the dike or on the edge of the dike they won't walk across the water to go hunt grass on the other side of it. Right. So we're a lot of times we'll hike up the dike, hike down the dike, hike across the 200 yard marsh water, and then hunt the flooded stuff that's on the other side of it. That's where we want to be. Sure. So it's a little more effort to get to. Um, I don't hunt a ton of walk-in spots, but I have friends who do hunt it and they do a lot of like walk-in spots where it's just kind of harder to get to. People don't really want to, they'll go in with small number of decoys, throw them out there. And they'll have a good hunt. They'll, they'll shoot them up pretty good. Um, but yeah, so if you work a little harder, there's a better chance you can 
find ducks. But the really the big thing is is the scouting. Like you got to find the birds, you got to see where they are, and then you can go and do the hard hunt. Because nine times out of ten, if I see a spot where there's birds using on, on public land, especially in my part of the state where I am, it's in a spot that no one wants to walk to. Yeah, because they're comfortable there. So like we have a spot right now we saw it during the openers like the birds keep working this area but it is like we're debating on if we want to walk there or not you know what Mm -hmm. i mean it's kind of of those things like do we really want to do this to ourselves we're getting old like should we really be doing this (laughs) it's like there's birds there let's go (laughs) right kind of situation so yeah yep i mean just yeah knowing the marshes and knowing the areas you hunt is also helpful because you know all the little potholes are you know what floods first um you kind of you know um where other people kind of gravitate towards in the marsh. So you kind of know how to get away from people and also like hunt spot where the birds hunt spots where the birds want to be. Absolutely. Yep. So, so you mentioned there, there, there's some walk-in spots and stuff like that, but you've also got a collection of boats as well. Do, mm-hmm. do you need a boat if you're trying to get into waterfowl hunting or is it, you know, how, no. how can you, is it, you know, can you get away with, you know, just climbing the dike and stuff like yep. that and. Yeah, you can definitely, you know, a lot of the walk-in places, you can, you should be able to wait in waiters. Uh, you always want to check it or at least have a, like a, a pole for your decoys so you can reach your decoys at the end of a hunt Sure. or reach your ducks. If you shoot a duck and it's in the middle and it's too deep, you want to be able to have some way to get those ducks. So whether it's a dog or um, a kayak or canoe, or you just walk out there and see, okay, can I wait all the way across this? Here's where I can't touch the window blow the ducks past that. So that's fine. Like I can hunt it, you know? Sure. So yeah, you don't need a boat. Um, it definitely opens up more opportunity if you have some sort of boat. Like when you get a canoe or a kayak, you have more options. You have more places you can hunt. Then you get a boat with a motor, you can go a little farther and get away from the canoes and kayaks. So it's kind of like a progression, right? Mm-hmm. So you you're hunting to start, you're hunting and you're walking into places, you're hunting with other walking hunters because they're all in the same situation as you. They're walking in. Then you have the guys who are in the kayaks in the same marsh who they'll walk in with their kayaks, but they're getting past the walk-in people because they have kayaks. They can just paddle right past right. and work a little deeper in the marsh. But those kayakers, they only want to go so far too because they got to kayak out. And then you have the guys in the boats who are going to go a little farther than the kayakers. And they're going to go a little farther than the kayakers um, than the kayakers can go. So then you have that group of people who's out in the marsh or you know if it's a big marsh or a big sure. area, right? So you almost always have pressure it's just different kinds of pressure based on what you're hunting. Right. So, right. It, it, but you, there's definitely op- plenty of opportunity to, to hunt without a boat, especially if you're asking permission on private property and hunting in fields, you sure. know, um, get a, get a couple dozen goose shells to start and, and go give it a shot and a layout blind or a, a panel blind or hide in some brush. You know, you gotta be pretty hidden in fields. The ducks can be leery. The geese can be very leery especially later in the year. But if you hide yourself well and you're in 12 decoys, you have a chance to kill geese and ducks in a field with a spinner or two out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So it definitely sounds like that private land permission. Have you found that it's easier to get private permission um, for waterfowl hunting than it is for say, I don't know if you, if you've done as much asking for, you know, whitetail hunting or something like that. I know, especially in Wisconsin, we get defensive, but (laughs) It depends, I think, on the property type. Like, if there's a lot of woods around the property, mm-hmm. you're probably not going to get permission because there's deer hunters on it. Sure. If it's just big, wide open fields, a lot of times the farmers will be like, have fun. 
You know what I mean? Just don't drive in my field if it's wet. If I tilled it, make sure you walk in kind of a situation. So like mm-hmm. be respectful of the field. Um, that's pretty much all the stuff that we have is just, it's kind of like that. Um, we've had, I, I feel like I've had good luck getting permission on stuff that I've wanted to hunt. I think a lot of it is just cause like I live in the area. So I live where I hunt and I can be like, Hey, I was driving home from work. Saw these geese in your field. Um, I live over here on whatever street. You mind if I hunt your geese on Saturday, hunt the geese right. in the field on Saturday. And then they'll be like, yeah, sure. Or no. And they'll be like, well, do you hunt? And they'll be like, if they hunt a lot of times they'll say no. Uh, and then it'll be like, well, my buddy, we got a big trailer. We got lots of decoys. So if you want to get out there with us, just, you know, let me know. And then they'll be like, oh, okay. Yeah. Maybe my son and I will come out and hunt, or maybe my uncle will come out and hunt or something like that. Sure. So, yeah. So that's kind of, yeah, you don't need a boat. Um, you, you can ask permission. You're going to get a lot of no's, but you're also, if you ask enough, you're going to get yeses for sure. Gotcha. Absolutely. I got another question here just that sprung to mind. As you've got guys who are in walk-in spots and you have guys who are in paddle-in spots or, you know, the, the, the motor in spots and stuff like that. So guys are obviously going to be crossing paths, you know, Mm -hmm. a lot of time, especially on public land. What's the etiquette looking like in the waterfowling, uh, culture is it a matter of obviously you want to be safe you don't want to be set up you know too far or too close to somebody else or you know have anyone within potentially uh you know harm's way there what's the the etiquette of getting in sorry didn't mean to interrupt you no you're good um openers are always tough like opening days there's lots of people out lots of people only hunt the openers so you're going to have people who aren't maybe typically out there. You're going to have people who are just into duck hunting. It's the first or second time duck hunting. Um, so openers are a little tougher to get away from people. You're still going to have people set up to you. People will come in late and kind of set up close. And you got to just encourage them to like move away. Or like our northern opener this year, um, we went to a spot where we are going to hunt it. There was a group there before us, but they were farther away. Like we thought they were going to hunt a different part of the, the pond about 300 yards ish away but they were paddling in in a canoe we were going to walk in off the dike into the spot and they parked there because they could pull their canoe over and get right to this they could get right to the water we had to walk through some through some cattails and stuff so our walk was a little harder it wasn't in the water where they just pulled over and put their canoe in well it turns out like we wanted to hunt the same spot they beat us to the area so we could have turned around walked away and left we could have just said well we're hunting here but we just, we decided to all five of us just hunt together. So that morning we hunted together in a group. We knew it was opening day. We knew there's pressure. We're probably going to have a better hunt. Um, if we're all sitting in a group of five, then two over here and 350 yards away. So we decided just to hunt in a five and, and uh, do it that way. And it turned into a good hunt, but openers are bad. I honestly, I look for places to hunt that I don't have to deal with people. Sure. And if someone shows up, it's easy enough to go to the next spot. Like, you know, there's plenty of opportunity to go to the next spot. I also try to be there early enough where I'm not one of the last ones in the marsh. So I'm not like, there's nowhere else to go kind of a situation. That's when it gets kind of dicey. I feel like is like people coming in late, they run out of places to sit and now they either can go home, which who wants to go home or we can just sit right here in this channel, 58, 50, 60, 70, 80 yards from these other guys who are there for two hours before you kind of a situation. Right. And it's like, Hey guys, it's not safe to sit there. We're shooting right at you. Like you can't sit there. That's, that's basically what you have to say. 
Like, well, we're just going to sit over here, you know, or whatever, blah, blah, blah. It's like, it's not safe. You can either hunt with us or you can not hunt there, basically, is what happens. Sure. So I almost just thought that you can either hunt with us or you can just go hunt somewhere else because you can't hunt there. And sometimes they'll join you and sometimes they'll be like, ah, oh, whatever, fine. And then they'll just storm off and go hunt, hunt somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's really the only, like, super crowded areas, busy days. But I honestly try to get away from it. Like, I would rather hunt somewhere and shoot three or four ducks than go to a super popular place have to deal with people sitting 80 90 yards from you like you know what i mean yeah yeah if i gotta go back if i'm there last second or third and i gotta go sit a spot i don't really want to sit i'll go i'd rather go sit there than than hunt you know 150 yards from somebody 200 yards from somebody sure definitely is there any etiquette as far as uh or what what's procedure then if you're like because obviously you're going in in the dark is it just kind of if you hear or see somebody like flash a flashlight yeah. at them to just let them, yeah, know flash you're there. A flashlight and let them know you're there. Um, sometimes people want to come and see like where you're sitting so that they know like, okay, I have to go this far away. But yeah, usually just, if someone's flashing a flashlight you in a marsh, it means they don't want you to sit near them. You're too close to them or something typically. Sure. Or if I'm over here. You don't have to come this way any farther because th- there's nowhere to go over here. I'm sitting here. Um, yeah, that's pretty much the etiquette. And like, if you're a new hunter and you're coming into a marsh, like try to get at least 250 away from somebody. And if it's possible to get farther, get farther away. It's only going to be better for both of you if you're a little bit farther away mm-hmm. from the other group that was there first. Like if you're coming in second on top of people at shooting light, like get there a little bit earlier, first of all. You know what I mean? So you're prepared in case you have to go to a number two spot. You can get back in the boat and go there. Right. Um, that's really like the biggest thing if, if you're coming in late on somebody. Um, and if you absolutely have to sit there, ask to join or try to get 250 plus yards away. That's my like recommendation on etiquette as far as like hunting or someone else is. Gotcha. Yeah. That's huge. And you're still going to get rained on. like at 250, you won't get hurt with BBs, but you'll get rained on. Like they'll come down and you'll, they'll, you know, hear them hit the water and stuff around you and, mm-hmm. you know, but they're not going to hurt you. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. No, that's super helpful. Um, all right. So let's, let's start shifting gears here a little bit to uh, no pun intended to gear um yeah. <laughs> uh i think we ought to start here decoys you mentioned spinners you mentioned big spreads small spreads stuff like that how many do you need are you running a mix of them like what what what's the general kind of rule of thumb is is bigger better or more better um yeah. what dictates that yeah well i guess we'll just kind of start with duck hunting not really field hunting um Duck hunting on water, I think, uh, I mean, you can get it done with 12 decoys. Mm-hmm. Well, if we go to the Mississippi and we're hunting migrators, we'll run 60 to 100 decoys. Oh, so, wow. you know, like I'll bring all mine. So I have five to six dozen. I have like six dozen. And then my buddy will bring his six dozen, you know, so that's what, 120 decoys or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, so, yeah, we'll run our whole spread. Now you got to pick it up at the end of the hunt. So that kind of sucks, <laughs> but. Yeah. Um, but me and my dad have also gone out there with three dozen on a migration day and killed them over three dozen. Just mallard, just mallard decoys um is what we hunted for a long time. Now, like my buddy, a lot of times I'll bring my ma- all my mallards and he'll bring a few mallards and then he'll bring all his like other species ducks that could be in the area. Pintail, you know, he'll have like three or four pintail in there, he'll have a couple black ducks mixed in, he'll have some widgeon mixed in. Um, but 
the main core of our spread, especially once November comes, is mall- like but basically mallards if you're hunting mallards. If you're hunting yeah. divers, which I don't know a ton about, divers are pretty specific to like where they want to land and what they want to land with. So having that white in your spread will attract, you know, uh, those those ducks that like to land on the whites and um, having just that that bright colors in the spread that those divers like, I think is important. I don't really know a lot about diver hunting though. Gotcha. Um, but I know that like the guy that I hunt with up in Green Bay, um, he when he sets his spreads, he kind of sets them by species, you know. He'll put the bluebills in one area, he'll put the cans in a different kind of area of the spread and and the buffies he'll put in a different spot or whatever and mix them in with certain species and a lot of times it seems like they want to land with those species that they're hunting got it but yeah as far as spreads go like on water you don't need a huge spread like if you're a kayak hunter a dozen decoys is probably about as much as you want to get in your boat mm-hmm. um then maybe a spinner that sometimes the ducks are going to flare off it sometimes they're going to like it if they're fresh birds a lot of times they'll like the spinner if they've been around the area for a while and they've seen a lot of spinners, they're not going to like the spinner. So you might as well sure. leave it home. But I always have it in my boat. And then um, just motion too, like having a jerk rig or something to get the water moving on those calm days. That's also helpful. Um, so if you're a new hunter, get a jerk rig. Uh, they make agitators like Lucky Duck makes an agitator that spurts up some water. Um, I know the real decoy sponsors my channel. They make something called a flutter and a flutter butt. And those are like... Um, they they shake and they really just put big big ripples in the water not like huh. some of the other put big ripples in they put real small ones these just put like big ripples in the water and it makes it look like a really active feeding area um where the ducks are it looks like the ducks are moving around a bunch gotcha um that's, those are options to get the water moving so like the real decoy flutters the lucky duck agitators um a jerk rig jerk rigs work good like a motion decoy is it motion ducks motion ducks is a company it's like a decoy spreader so you put four ducks on it you pull it and it's on like a a bungee and then the ducks come towards you and they go away and they look like real ducks kind of swimming around on this spreader so it's pretty cool too and that's not expensive maybe 40 50 bucks for the spreader okay use your own like there's guys who will run one spreader like with the extended attachment with like seven decoys and that's all they'll throw out and they'll kill ducks over that because all their ducks are moving they look real yeah Huh. Yep. So so is it as much motion of the decoy or motion of the like seeing the ripples on the water that really the ripples on the water? It, I mean it's a combination of both, I think. Sure. It's a combination of seeing bird like in the wind, the birds move more, right? So if it's yeah. a windy day, you don't see that motion as much because the birds look like they're moving and they are kind of moving, or if they're in current, they're moving. But if you're in a pond or water, you just got to get the water moving because then it looks like the ducks are moving and right. then, you know, paddle. Yeah. The motion ducks is moving the water and the ducks are moving. So it's, you know, it's kind of like a best of both worlds, but then you got to pull that jerkery all the time. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So then yeah, so it sounds like giant spreads. You can get started with a dozen decoys and you know, you, you're going to wish you had more a lot of times, but you can definitely kill birds with 12 decoys. Sure. Eight, six decoys um, and a spinner or just something to get the water moving, you know, gotcha. and you'll be, Awesome. It's really good to know. Um, so that's on water. So then field do- or field decoying, I'm assuming that requires a bit larger spread. Yeah. So I didn't get into field hunting until after one, I needed permission on fields. So once I got that, then it's like, okay, now I need goose decoys. Mm-hmm. So I kind of worked my way up the, the decoy ladder. I started with like two dozen shells 
two dozen shell decoys, less expensive. Um, and it was enough for us to kill some geese in a field over. We didn't never get any big groups, but we got a few here and there. We, you know, we would get them to come in and we, in our hide that was probably mediocre at the time. Um, but yeah, you start with a few, you know, a couple dozen shell decoys. I actually just gave those away to a, a newer hunter in the area here. I just posted like in my uh, group and I just gave them to him. So he got started and he messaged me the other day. He's like, Hey, I just killed uh, four geese. We just killed four geese over your, your uh, shells you gave me. I'm like, Oh sweet. That is awesome, dude. Yeah. So then I, then I went from shells and I was in like a silhouette buying phase where I bought a bunch of silhouette decoys. I think I bought 10 dozen of those, but I bought like five dozen and we were killing more birds over that. So we had five dozen silhouettes plus our shells out. And we were killing more birds over that. So I'm like, oh, I need another five dozen. So I bought another five dozen <laughs> next year. So now I have like 10 dozen silhouette decoys, my shells. But in the meantime, I've also been buying people's used full bodies. So mm -hmm. I got rid of my shells because I started buying some full bodies. So I have like four dozen full bodies myself plus my silhouette decoys. So I have a big enough spread where if I'm going out with me and a buddy, I'm pretty confident that we can kill birds over it. Um, but but my decoys now are in our trailer, like me and my buddies, uh, my buddy has a trailer. So we just kind of put all our decoys together. And if our whole crew is together, we got a giant, giant full body spread. We don't even really throw the silhouettes mm -hmm. uh, unless it's a walk-in spot. But we have two trailer fulls of like 10 dozen decoys each, maybe, maybe even more, 10 dozen full bodies. So we can run a pretty massive spread. And then if we throw out all of our, silhouettes to it like can triple the size so we can really pull birds sure. pull big groups of birds. like that's when we're hunting nine ten guys yeah 14 guys whatever which isn't always that fun to hunt that many but um sometimes in big goose feeds it's it is it is still pretty fun to right. shoot on that. holy smokes yeah. man <laughs> so yeah so i mean again it's like it's all really kind of preference like how do you want to hunt them you can you can kill them over 12 you might kill as money it might be like a two-man kind of a hunt situation where you shoot five, four, three, three birds or something and be perfectly happy. And then as you get more into it, it's like, okay, I could see how this, or you hunt with somebody and like, man, those birds just, they want it in. Well, they had, they had an extra 10 dozen decoys in their spread. So then I got to have 10 dozen decoys in my spread. So, <laughs> but yeah, you can definitely get started with smaller stuff and learn how the geese respond to it and how they work. And you'll see guys later in the year, just run small 12, 12 decoy spreads even with geese and they'll they'll shoot them that way too sure so yeah bigger isn't always better but when there's a lot of birds in the area bigger is pretty good especially if you can make a lot of noise and you got a few good callers two gotcha. you know two good ones at least and then other guys that can make noise i'm just a guy that kind of makes noise in the goose blind um i'm not a great caller so with the geese but yeah so i'll just make like i'll honk i'll cluck i'll moan a little and then let the good callers do their thing yeah gotcha so you mentioned yeah. with the decoys on water then using some wind to uh you know kind of create some motion in the decoys um that, that that'll keep things moving is wind generally good for duck hunting do you want wind um does like wind direction impact things too much um what what i guess how do you make a play off of the wind when you're duck hunting yeah, I mean that's that's like the number one thing that duck hunters want is wind. A good wind is anywhere from like ten to twenty five is like ideal. Okay. Um, ten, 
you can still get birds to work the right way, but it gets a, they get a little more picky. Like in what they're seeing, there's less stuff blown around. Mm-hmm. There's everything's still and calm, so they're a little more leery to land in spots. Um, but ducks and geese will always, I mean, ninety eight percent of the time, a mallard's going to land into the wind. A goose is going to land into the wind. So when you set up your decoys and your spreads and where your blinds are, if you want to shoot them coming into you, you know, set your spread up so the birds are going to land into your decoys. A lot of times they're going to land right with your pods of decoys. If you throw out 12 over here and 12 over here, they're going to land in one of those 12s, right? Or you throw out a dozen over here and a dozen over there and you put a pod of like six in the middle, they're going to land in either either side or with the pod that's there. Sometimes gotcha. they'll short, but for the most part, they're going to land with ducks that are already there, right? Either right in the spread. Teal always, almost always will land. We'll just throw a big pot of decoys, you know, three dozen teal in a pod. Almost always those teal will land right in that pod or just mm-hmm. off the edge of the pod. Um, we don't, we don't spread our teal decoys out really. We run them as like a fairly tight pod and the birds will come right into that pod. If you watch my, um, I have a teal hunt I think it might be called teal opener hunt. But we have three big flocks of decoys come right in, right in our face, right in. We had good, decent enough wind, but every flock landed on top of the decoys. And it's just because we have our teal decoys set up in a pot. Gotcha. Uh, I think you spread them out, then they have more places to land. It's just they want to be where the other birds are. So they kind of land in them, especially teal. Mallards, same thing. They'll land with them always into the wind. So I personally like to have the wind directly behind me, and I like to shoot them right in the face as they're coming into me. Um but it's a little better height if you can hide off to the side and then you set your decoys up a little like, so like, let's say the wind I'm sitting in the hole and the water's in front of me and the wind is blowing from my right to my left in the hole. Um, I'm going to put my decoys where I want the birds to land. Um, I guess it would be up wind of where I'm sitting. So farther to my right, deeper, deeper into the hole. So that when the birds are coming to land, they're going to land into the wind they're going to swing out over the pond. They're going to come in and they're going to work almost past me yeah. so that I can shoot them as they're coming past me to land in the decoys, right? So you're going to shoot them as they're coming past you. Not as, You're not going to necessarily sit right where your decoys are. You're going to shoot, sit, you know, a little farther from your decoys so the ducks have to pass you to land with the decoys. And you gotcha. shoot them right as they're coming. That's kind of how, if I'm going to cross shoot them, that's kind of what it's called. That's how I'll set up. If I'm going to shoot them in the face, I'll put my pods of decoys out in front of me spinners out in front of me and i'll just you know we'll get them when they when they're coming right at us sure so so you mentioned your, your hide's better off to the side i can't imagine that um you know a sunny day is going to be it might be more crucial to have that better hide and be off to the side than say maybe an overcast day because you're not going to be as as lit is it does that play it's actually it it's actually the opposite oh so your height, your height is where your height is. So a yeah. lot your height is wherever your best height is. That's that's why I look at it. If I can get my best height with the wind or a really good height with the wind at my back, I'm, that's how I'm going to set up. Okay. If height, if I don't have much to hide in or I don't have good cover, um, I'm going to hide where my height is and then I'm going to set my decoys ba- based on that to try to get the birds where I want them to land. Uh, if they have to, absolutely have to land going away from me, I will shoot them that way, but I prefer them to be crossing or coming into me when I'm shooting them just because you get them. Then it's easier to get them when they're like flaring off of you too. You get more opportunities, but your height is where your height is. So wherever your height is, it is. Um, The sun can play into your height. So 
shadows are your friend as a duck hunter, as a waterfowl hunter. So if you can hide in the shadows, so let's say I'm hunting in a marsh and there's cattails, I would like the sun and the wind to be on my back. Okay. So when the ducks are coming in, the sun is glaring in their eyes, but they have the wind they like. They can't see you because you're on the shadowy side of the cattails. Your face isn't lit up. You're kind of hidden in the darkness with the bright sun behind you. The ultimate hide is with the sun behind you and the wind behind you. That's the ultimate sun and wind behind you with some shadows to hide in cattails, get back in them a little bit, some sort of blind, you know, where you're absolutely covered up. So use the shadows to your advantage, use your cover to advantage, use the shadows wherever they end up being based on like, if you're sitting and you're going to cross shoot them, but you're standing next to a tree, don't stand on the sunny side of the tree, stand on the shadowy side of the tree. Even if it's on approaching where the ducks are approaching from, get -hmm. in that shadow. You have some sort of cover between you and you and the ducks. Gotcha. So a hide could be something that's cloudy days are harder because everything just looks the same in the woods. Right. So cloudy days, you can't hide as well because you don't have shadows to hide in. Okay. So you have to have a solid, solid hide on those types of days. Huh. Think about if you're like, if you're driving down the road and you're looking into the sun where you're driving, think about how hard it is to drive when the sun's blaring you right in the eyes. Right. Yeah, that's true. Then put the sun at your back, and it's much easier to drive if you're driving down the road. Mm-hmm. Totally. Right? Because the sun's behind you. You can see everything in front of you perfect. There's no glare off the water. There's no glare off the road. There's no glare off the cars in front of you. Everything is shiny like in a marsh. The cattails are shiny. The water's shiny. Everything is just reflecting off the into the duck's eyes when they're coming into land, into the sun, into the – you know what I mean? Sure. So if you can get the sun at your back, if you can get the wind at your back, you're you're sitting pretty. Like your okay. hide will be, even if you don't have a great hide, your hide will be solid. Gotcha. Yeah. And so a hide can be something as simple as just standing next to a tree. It doesn't have to be, you know, obviously you'd like to be covered up, you know, as well as possible, but it, it, you're really yeah. just looking for anything that's going to, you know, obviously you mentioned shadows, but just anything that'll break up the silhouette of, of yourself pretty much. Yeah. Ducks can see color apparently. So if you, you know, don't wear bright colors, just, be dark be wear dark colors you know try to fit in with your surroundings and sure should be okay like guys in arkansas they stand next to trees and kill them yeah they'll just lean into the tree you know or behind the tree or use the tree as their cover when the ducks are approaching and they pop out and they shoot them you know gotcha. so you can definitely use trees um if there's trees for cover and you know like if i'm hiding my boat blind a lot of times i'll hide it on the shadowy side of the cattails i'll pull into the cattails on the shadowy side i'll look for a little jut out of cattails pull into that little jut. Hopefully they got shadows to cover that sides. And then you get the birds work right into you with the sun coming up behind your back. Gotcha. That's huge, so yeah, that, man. That's, that's a little bit about height and how I try to hide. Okay. Yeah, no, that's super out. And does precipitation, like I'm sure snow makes it more difficult to be so. seen. It, yeah. I mean, I, like somebody say they fly better in snow. Some say they don't fly in snow. I've had one really good hunt in snow. So maybe my um, my perception, as I should say, in over water, like on with ducks on snow, I've had some really good hunts or, or one or two really good hunts in the snow. So my perception is a little bit skewed, I would say, because I'm like, if it's snowing, I want to go duck hunting. Mm-hmm. Whereas other people are like, eh, I'm not going to go. The ducks don't fly in the snow. But it's like my mind, they do fly in the snow. So I, you know, that's kind of hard to hard to really say. I know for a fact that if it starts to snow and you're a goose or a field hunter. 
you need to get in that field ASAP as soon as you can because those ducks do or ducks and geese do some stupid stuff in a field when it's snowing. Like wow. they don't care, they just eat. So you could just like stand out there and probably shoot them. <laughs> no kidding. They wow. are desperate when it's cold and snowy out, <clears throat> and you got a nice wind. Those geese want to get into the field for sure. So it's just as soon as it starts, kind of like like a white tail. As soon as that cold front hits, and as soon as precipitation starts, they're after after food. It's one thing on yep. their mind. Yep, especially once it's chilly out and cold out. Yep. Yeah, it's just like yeah. and deer. They want to just be in the cornfields and eat. They get out there a little bit earlier. They stay out there for a little longer. Yeah, geese are the same way. If it's Geese typically a lot of times will fly like in the morning and the and in the evening. When it starts to get really cold, they'll start to fly a little bit later in the day because mm-hmm. they're trying to keep their ice hole open. So they're sure. in the ice hole. They'll leave it the warmest part of the day to go feed, and then they'll come back. But oh. if it starts snowing, as soon as it starts snowing, they're going to start flying because they want to get some food in them and you know and some energy, and then they'll get back to their spot. Right, right, definitely. Well, man, it, yeah. it's just starting to. Uh crossed my mind here that we, we we've barely touched on guns here we mentioned we touched on the 410 briefly is a 20 gauge going to get it done you mentioned a 28 gauge uh um uh, yeah the four t- uh so yeah my buddies they shoot i have buddies who shoot the 20 gauge mm-hmm. and i have buddies who shoot the uh the 410 or not the 410 my son shot the 410 and then, uh, like, there's a there's a YouTuber, High Prairie Sportsman. He shoots a 28 gauge at ducks. Shoots a lot of ducks with a 28 gauge. I got a, uh, a, a buddies who shoot the 20. I shoot a 12 gauge. Um, it's really kind of personal preference. And I think guys, after they've been shooting for a while, they like to switch to a 20 uh, because a little lighter gun. They can get on the birds or second birds a little faster. Um, they don't need as many pellets because they're a little better shot. You know, uh, I'm just comfortable shooting a 12, so that's just what I shoot right now you know and i shoot i uh, I shoot bismuth but i also shoot i'll shoot steel shot steel number fours in a three inch all the way at least until uh, a few more weeks yet i'll shoot it and then i'll switch to like my bismuth stuff that i shoot during like later season mid-season ducks and mallards and things like that sure sure you mentioned that that four shot is that typically what you're going for is shooting four i'm just hunting i'm just hunting ducks i'll shoot four okay yeah Gotcha. Almost, almost exclusively, and then even my steel shot a lot of time, or my uh, bismuth, I'll shoot four in that too. Um, I just like the the number of BBs that get on the bird in that, so that's what I shoot typically at ducks is is the fours. It's a little more BBs. Um, if you shoot them in the head, they're basically there's nowhere for you to miss if you're shooting fours. Where you're shooting like twos or double Bs, you got a little more holes in your pattern. You can miss more birds, and sure. and uh, yeah, it might be a little more dead when you shoot them, but. The fours will, if you had shot them and, or even shoot them in the chest, they're going to be dead if you're shooting at reasonable distances, you know, inside of 30. Okay. Ideally, four shot, you know, yeah. Gotcha. 30, 35. You get lucky and shoot them at 40 if you're, you know, if you run in a full choke or run something tight mm-hmm. and you shoot that distance a lot, you could kill them at 40. But I just try to get them as close as possible. Right. I like getting them really close. Yeah. Right. Totally. Well, speaking of shells there, man, uh, You've got some gear that you're uh, selling, don't you? Yeah, I do. I, I started a, a company in April. It's called uh, Shoddy Gear. And it basically started as a need. So the company started because I was, like a lot of people, carrying my shells around in, in plastic bags. 
mm-hmm. uh, Ziploc bags, grocery bags. Um, I was carrying them around in the boxes. The boxes would get wet. You'd spill. Um, they'd, you know, you would crush them in your box. Then you got boxes in your boat, boxes in your blind, boxes in your layouts. Uh, and I just got tired of like, of, of that, like having stuff everywhere and it not be waterproof and, the, and my shells would get wet and ruined. Um, my bags would rip, the Ziplocs would eventually rip or tear mm-hmm. or get a hole in them. So the shells are getting wet in there. So, yeah, so I started, I went on this mission to look for like a bag where I could store my shells in. Well, as it turned out, I couldn't find anything that was the right size to store my shells in. Everything was like, you know, Bass Mafia, like the Bass Mafia bags? Yes. For like like plastic baits, they have these like, Bass Mafia makes these like big Ziploc heavy duty bags. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Hard plastic. I was like, wow, these work really good. So for a few years, for a year or so, I was using the Bass Mafia bags, but they're like 24 bucks for a plastic bag, right? And I'm like, that's ridiculous. I was, and I still use one of those actually like to keep a good number of shells. in. like, if I'm going out of town, I'll throw a bunch of shells in there. And uh, so then I was like, I need to find something less expensive. This is ridiculous. I'm not spending 25 bucks to do that. So then I was like, oh, well, what if I just use dry bags? I've been using my dry bags for a while. Like earth pack dry bags is what I used to use for like keeping my extra gear in. Like if mm-hmm. I was going on a really wet hunt, I'd throw all my, I'd use it as a blind bag essentially. So I started buying like smaller ones. I think I would buy a five liter one and it was, it was just too big. I used it as like in my truck. So I was still like using boxes of shells, but I would keep the boxes in the, in the dry bag. And the five liter bag was just too big and I couldn't find anything smaller like for years. So then I guess it would have been going into last season. So last two summers ago, I just started to go on this like mission to find a small bag to use to to keep track of my to keep my stuff organized dry is the biggest deal keep them organized and dry. Right. So I finally found a company that would make me a small dry bag like a small style dry bag and I ended up uh, having them make a smaller bag and it's the perfect size for you can get 50 shells in, in a pouch but it's but I usually run like 35 or so shells in it. Um, it rolls up. It's a roll top dry bag. You can roll it just like a regular dry bag and it's got some buckles on it. It's got a clip. You can hang it, you know, on a tree branch, uh, off your blind in your boat. Um, it fits in your blind bag easily. It's no, it's, it's smaller than a, a two liter bottle. Um, it's probably more like the size of a one liter bottle mm-hmm. of like say pop or something if you're drinking soda and, uh, you could easily get two of them in your, in your blind bag if you want. Or throw two in your truck on the floor and then take one with you, whatever you want to do. But yeah, it's essentially it's a small shell storage dry bag. And I, I bought a hundred to start, like my samples. And I'm like, oh, maybe I'll sell a hundred of them, like to my to my buddies. Like, yeah, maybe I'll sell a hundred. Well, I sold a hundred in three days. So then I was <laughs> like, I guess I gotta order. And we use the samples for like for a while. So my first order actually, they were plastic. And if you if anybody's listening and you ever ordered them. From me, it was like a clearer plastic bag. If they ever fail, just shoot me an email. I will send you the new upgraded ones for free. I won't charge you for them at all. But they had a tendency to crack like in the plastic because it was sure. just the way that that material was. So I went to a little heavier duty material. I bought, I think, 300 more. I'm like, okay, I'll sell these over the summer into the fall. Like it'll last me, you know, through the year. And I did a TikTok and it freaking went off. And I sold 300 bags in like five days. I'm like, oh, wonderful. People actually like these, right? 
Right. So I've now sold, so I sold 300. So I sold a hundred in like two days because the TikTok went viral and then I sold them. I was out of stock. I had to wait a month to get my new ones in. Mm-hmm. Got those 300 and they were gone. And I made another TikTok one night. This was at the beginning of summer. So like beginning of June, Um, I did a TikTok like right before I went to bed about the shell pouch. You're not supposed to post TikToks then because people are like sleeping. It was like 1130 at night. I mm-hmm. woke up in the morning and I had like 14 or 15 orders already. So, which, and most people were ordering like two to three of them each. And then I went to shoot archery at the club with my buddy and my phone was going ding, ding, ding all day. I should say like between the hundred and the 300, I set up a website. My cousin does a lot of like online retail stuff. So he helped me get a website set up, told me what I needed to do. So I set up a Shopify and then all of a sudden, like I'm out shooting archery and my phone's going ding, ding, ding. I'm like selling all <laughs> these things. And I get to the, like the end of the, the archery round after like an hour and a half. And I almost sold out of my bags. I have like 40 bags left of the 300, maybe 60, something like that. So I sell like a hundred, you know, 220 bags or something ridiculous overnight in through the next day. And I'm like, this is crazy. So I, I had like 80 left. The TikTok kind of died off. The sales kind of died off. I'm like, I'll try it again Sunday night. So two days later, do a TikTok. I sold out of the bags the next Monday. So I was done. Those 300 were done. <laughs> Wait another like six weeks to get my next order. I was going to like, when I get to 150, I'll order more. Like that was my mind. Cause I thought they would mm-hmm. like take a while to whatever. So I literally started this company with like 300 bucks. I put into it and I've now sold, uh, I sold over a thousand this summer of these bags. These pouches. No kidding. Way over a thousand. And I've, I just got an order of what did I get? How many did I get? They had 1,200 bags on September 1st, I want to say. Mm-hmm. I have I have less than half of those left. So I sold six or 800 this month, last month. And then like this month in October, I've sold already like another. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm probably going to run out. I just ordered another 1,500 mm-hmm. the other day. So those should hopefully be here by like mid-November. Sure. But yeah kind of wild how the company just kind of took off i was like literally i was hoping to sell a hundred right just for that like i'll I'll sell a hundred see what happens and i've sold i mean i've i've already ordered thousands and thousands of dollars of pouches to get to like you know to get to where we are now and my office you can see me but like my office is literally this is my basement so this is shoddy gear headquarters right here (laughs) see my basement and i got you know, my pouches, I'm going to eventually come out. I have like an elite pouch I'm coming out with. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a little tiny bit bigger. It's got metal buckles. It's got a loop on the back. It's got magnets to help like self-close. And then it also has, um, they make these uh, like desiccant, whatever, or like uh, silica packets, you know, like yeah, yeah. moisture. Yep. Yes, they make them that you can recharge. So I can actually brand those in my name. And then I can, they can drop them like in the bag. There's a little sleeve I put in the bag for my elite mm-hmm. pouches. So those will be pretty nice. I think people like those. Dude, that's those huge. Those will be about 24 bucks a pop. But my, my like normal pouches, which I'll always have because they're such good sellers. Um, right now you can get them on my website for uh, three for basically 30 bucks and then shipping. So it's like 36 bucks shipped for three of them. And honestly, in the meantime, another company had come out with these, like before I technically mine were out, even though I was like sampling them and I had my order ready. Another company came out with them and they're selling them for around 30 a piece. 
So huh. you get three for thirty plus five dollars or six bucks to ship. Technically, they're twelve dollars each on the website, but if you put three in your cart, it takes two dollars off a pouch. So it basically pays for your shipping for them. So it's like three for thirty six or twelve dollars each plus shipping. You know what I mean? Absolutely. But You're yeah, losing money by not buying in bulk, folks. That's what we're hearing. Well, man, exactly. that's I said we're losing money by not buying in bulk. If if that's what we're yeah, that's what we're getting. Yeah, I mean here. a little. I mean, you buy three <laughs> of them, and you're you're gonna save. And a lot of guys will buy one. They're like, oh, why didn't I buy more? Because mm-hmm. I honestly have, I have like all three colors, right? So I have my twelve gauge duck loads, four inch and one. Yeah. I have my business load in the next one, like you can see on the camera there. Yeah. Um, I'll have business loads in the next pouch, and then I'll have like my twenty gauge rounds in another pouch, or dove loads in another pouch. And when I go hunting, I just got to make sure I have my pouch and make sure it's full and walk out the door. And it's easy. They're easy to fill up. You just dump a whole box of shells in there. Mm-hmm. You get a second box in there if you really want, if you want to take two boxes out. But yeah, I mean, they're just convenient. They keep your shells dry. They fit in your blind bag. It's just like a little niche that I think people didn't realize they need until they saw it. Right. And yeah. they're literally selling like hotcakes. Like I'm selling, I don't know. I'm getting anywhere from like 10 to 30 orders a day of these things. Or yeah, I would say like awesome. five, five to 30 just depends on the day. Like, like some days, like yesterday I had like 24, 25 orders, mm-hmm. uh, two days, so I had like 13 orders, you know, and, uh, it's pretty fun. It's been really fun. Just really the thing is it's been fun to like do this. It's just been kind of a cool, cool. Little, yeah, man. Little well, and you're right. It's such a, I mean, for one, that's, that's just awesome to see that kind of growth and seeing something like that take off. I'm sitting here thinking like, and I'm sure most of the people who, who are, uh, you know, buying your pouches and stuff they're like why the hell hasn't this been done before like this is this makes so much sense and like i I love that on the front of it you've got um you know the white shoddy gear shot shell logo and stuff but like what you've been doing there taking a sharpie or a marker and just you know marking each bag whatever shell you're putting in there you can totally customize Mm -hmm. your uh your whole setup and are are you selling merch and stuff with those too uh, right now I have hats. So I awesome. have, um, on my website, I have a, a green, it's like a load in and black, uh, Richardson 112. I have a charcoal and black Richardson 112. I have a caramel and black or caramel. And I think it's caramel and black 112, um, which is like more of a brown color. Mm-hmm. I have a birch, which is a light brown color. And then I have a couple camos. I have a real tree. I have bottomland and I have that veil camo as well on the website for hats. Awesome. Um, what else? I don't have any sweatshirts yet. I have a sweatshirt on right here, mm-hmm. but this was just a sample that I ordered to see how if I liked it or not. Just a big, it's got the big shoddy gear logo on it on the front. Yeah. Uh, and then um, I got some stickers uh, that I include in orders, little ones. And then I also sell some bigger stickers like for the boat, for the truck, whatever on the website as well. So I don't have a ton yet, but my hope is by next year I'll have um, larger, like just dry storage bags for like gear as well as the shoddy shell pouch. Um, and then I also will have, I'm hopeful that I'll have, um, like, uh, I'll eventually we'll have like some blind bags and other waterproof gear out. That's like the goal where I'm kind of thinking of going now. Sure. But it's the website's called shoddygear.com. If you want to check it out, I would appreciate it. It'd be cool. And, uh, S H O T T Y G E A R.com. Absolutely. Yeah, folks, do yourselves a favor. Do Chase a favor. Go check it out. Go order some of these bags. They are freaking sweet. Um, Chase, I've had you on here for, uh, we're creeping up on two hours here now. Um, Post-technical difficulties, it's getting late. I want to be respectful of your time here. Um, 
lastly, so shoddygear.com, um, as well as somewhere in Wisconsin on Instagram yes. and somewhere in Wisconsin.com, correct? I know I'm uh, somewhere in Wisconsin on YouTube. Um, I'm somewhere in Wisconsin on Facebook, somewhere in Wisconsin on Instagram, TikTok. Right. I think that's it. And then I'm also on TikTok. Uh, Shoddy Gear Official is the, my TikTok for Shoddy Gear stuff. I also have a Shoddy Gear for Waterfallers Facebook group, smaller but growing. I will release stuff there first, give people first opportunity to order stuff. And then I also have um, Shoddy Gear LLC on Instagram. And I have like a business page on Facebook as well, Shoddy Gear LLC, I believe, too. Awesome. So, yeah, lots of good stuff for you guys to look at. Yeah, absolutely. Not to mention the content on somewhere in Wisconsin. I mean, and, and Shoddy Gear. I'm following both of them right now. The content on there is freaking sweet. So, folks, be sure to go check it out. Um, Chase, I'm sure we're going to be seeing a lot of awesome duck and waterfowl hunts uh, uh, coming up here this season. I'm excited for it. I'm excited to see the growth here at Shoddy Gear. Um, thank you so much for your time tonight, man. I learned a ton. I think everyone listening here, um, you know, whether they're already experienced waterfowl hunters or somebody looking to get into the sport, I think they're going to benefit from this as well. So thank you, man. I'm hoping we'll have you on here again soon. Appreciate it, Pierce. You have a good one, buddy. That's all for this week's episode. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. If you dig this show, be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever it is that you get your podcasts. While you're at it, if you could leave me a five-star review, I would very much appreciate that. You can also follow along with my outdoor adventures on Instagram at the Wisconsin Sportsman or at How to Hunt Deer. That's also the best way to get a hold of me. Suggest topics, guests, or questions that you'd like me to explore on the show. Big thanks to our partners, Tacticam, Huntworth, and Onyx. Please go support the brands that support this show. And if you're looking for more great outdoor content, check out the sportsmansempire.com where you'll find my other podcast, the How to Hunt Deer podcast, as well as a ton of other awesome outdoor podcasts. And until next time, make sure you make the time to get outside and enjoy the incredible natural resources that are ours as Wisconsin sportsmen.